0: the Buffalo Bills.
1: What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host Nick English I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in for today's episode we have a very special guest at this time I'd like to welcome a Syracuse University graduate you may know his voice from the number of athletic games he called at Syracuse before taking his talents to the men's play by play at the University of Vermont. He is part of the number one sports podcast in America with Barstool Sports, part, in Pardon my take, and he is the host of Barstool Benchmob Podcast. He is the best in the office. Please welcome Mr. Jake Marsh. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time and joining the English Encore Podcast.
0: Thank you, Nick, for having me. Uh, you seem like you're out of breath reading, reading that whole bio thing, but uh, I appreciate you having me on. I'm um, looking forward to it. It's going to be
1: a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I had to give you a great intro. I mean, you're one of the best podcasters in America. You got to hype yourself up, you know?
0: <laughs> I really appreciate it. I'm, ex- I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to kind of pick your brain a little bit and kind of let the audience get a little bit more, you know, behind the look of how you got into broadcasting and podcasting, kind of your journey to where you're at now. So we'll kind of start things off there, Jake. Um, you know, can you just kind of talk about when you realized you had a passion for sports and what made you ultimately decide to kind of take that career path and ultimately go to Syracuse University?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like many people around the country, I have a passion for sports um, and everyone, I think when they're growing up, I think their first lifelong dream, if you will, is to be a professional athlete, right? I think most people say, oh, I'm going to be the shortstop for the New York Yankees and be the quarterback for the New England Patriots. I'm going to be a shooting guard for the Boston Celtics. Um, And then one day you wake up and you realize it's not going to happen. It's unfortunate uh, that lifelong dream comes crashing to an end at one point. So whenever that happened for me, which was probably like, I don't know, late elementary, early middle school, um, I saw sports media, specifically play-by-play broadcasting as some way to still stay involved and have really cool access and be a part, of the history that is the upcoming sports games. Um, so when you're sitting at home watching games, who's the only voice you hear the play-by-play broadcaster and of course the analyst. Um, so that was really appealing to me just to have that opportunity. You get to uh, travel to cool places. You get to make relationships with cool people and athletes and coaches. Um, so that was like the middle school area. Uh, then I get into high school, I started doing journalism. Uh, the news, The high school newspaper, I'm, I'm from South Florida, uh, was one of the biggest high school newspapers in the country, Cypress Bay High School. So I became the sports editor there. Um, and then it came time to uh, go to college, of course. Um, and I grew up a diehard Florida Gators fan. Um, that was my number one choice to go to college. And I did get in there. Um, but then I toured Newhouse, Syracuse's uh, communication school, And I realized if I was fortunate enough to get into that school, it would have been very hard to pass it up. So I got in there too, had to make a very tough decision to turn down my dream school in UF. Um, But Syracuse definitely prepared me well. There were some awesome opportunities, very fortunate to call some really cool games and do some other things at Syracuse. And uh, that was my beginning experience in my journalism career.
1: And now while you're at Syracuse, you're obviously heavily involved in broadcasting on both radio and TV um, for a variety of different sports teams. I think basketball pretty much was the main one. Um, What was the pressure of performing in such a high speed environment, especially at a huge division one school like Syracuse and what adjustments and lessons did you kind of learn as you continue to do games there, maybe from your first game doing broadcasting to your last one there?
0: Yeah, for sure. So the way it works at Syracuse, specifically, the majority of my time I spent at WAER, which is the historic uh, student radio station there, and the way it works, is it's kind of like for fraternity pledging in a way, because you don't just show up as a freshman and get on the air like that. What they make you do is you have to wake up at 5 a.m., go to the radio station, make mock sportscasts, as if you're reading the 6:31. AM sports cast being like, okay, the Bills lost uh, 17, 14, Josh Allen threw for t- uh, three touchdowns and 200 yards or whatever. So you would do that as practice. And then the uh, upperclassmen would clear you eventually to get on the air after a few months or years, depending on how much progress you'd be making. Um, but the point of doing it in the early stages is because they want people who are really going to take things seriously and that are there for business. Obviously it's a fun business because, it's sports. Like we said earlier, it's fun. You're talking about fun things. Um, but that's how the process got started. And then you also could go to games. I would sit on the top floor of the carrier zone, the top row, bring my phone, have headphones in and do like practice play by play, because that's how you get better. You don't just show up to a game, put on a headset um, and the atmosphere of the students overall, Like I've lifelong friends from the student radio station. There's like 30 of us there at a time. But at the end of the day, Nick, how many headsets are there per game? Two. Two. Right. So it is very competitive. You try to improve on a daily basis. Um, So for the, by the time you are cleared and you're ready to call that first game, you're confident. And even though it is your first game on the air, you feel like you've been there before, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah for sure and now when you're going through all of this was basketball pretty much a sport that you got to choose or did you kind of have to work your way through different sports to work your way up to one you wanted to do because I know when I first started um, at SUNY Cortland which is actually right outside Syracuse yep. I remember my first assignment uh, when I did broadcasting when I first got into it was field hockey and I'm thinking to myself I know nothing about field hockey I don't know the rules I don't know half these players names and you know as I keep doing it more and more, I was like, wow, field hockey is actually pretty cool. Same thing with like soccer, um, things like that and as you're working your way up to basketball, hockey, baseball, football, whatever it may be. So what was that process like for you? Did you have to like kind of start from the bottom and work your way up? And did you have any pick or say in what sports you could do at Syracuse?
0: Yeah, 100%. And uh, there's one little message that uh, a fellow Syracuse alum, Iron Eagle, uh, told us when he – visited us and spoke to us once just give us advice on broadcasting and things like that and the thing that stuck with me was that he said never say no to an opportunity and to your point whether it's a field hockey game treat it with the same amount of preparation and seriousness as you would a Syracuse versus Duke college basketball game with 35,000 people in the carrier zone because at the end of the day you're, you're a student broadcaster and you're just trying to get better right you have a long career ahead of you um, as long as you can uh, sign off a game and be like, Hey, I improved on this today. I improved on uh, saying the time and score more often than I should have. I improved on describing the way the ball goes in the hoop uh, more often and more diverse. Then you can go home, go to sleep and be like, yeah, that was a good broadcast. So I approached the men's basketball games the same as I would approach the soccers and the field hockeys and the tennis broadcasts. Um, So you really don't want to be picky because of course, I mean, it's obvious the football and the men's basketball games, the sold out crowds, that's what you strive for. Right. And if you keep working hard, you're going to get those opportunities, but you'd be a fool to not take those high school football games seriously because at the end of the day, both games, even though one may may be more appealing, it's trying to make you a better broadcaster.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the games, like you mentioned, the ones that aren't, you know, maybe the most, high anticipated games, the field hockey, the tennises of the world are the ones that maybe prepare you for the most because it allows you to kind of make mistakes and learn and also just continue to get better. So when you finish at Syracuse and you decide to go take the play-by-play with Vermont, how did you kind of make that decision? Did you have other opportunities um, that you could have pursued? And then as far as Vermont goes, can you kind of take us through you know, your process when you're doing either play-by-play or color commentary, what your preparation is like, you know, before the game, during the game, after, and if you have the choice, do you prefer play-by-play or color?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So starting off first, the way I got the job. um, So I graduated in May of 2018 and I think it was July. So two months later, uh, I heard that Sam Hyman, who's coincidentally also a Syracuse person, he was two years older than me. I heard he was not returning um, so then I reached out to the Learfield IMG, uh, which was who's in charge of the hiring process, sent them my tape for my student radio days, um, said, heard there's an opening, would love to throw my name in the hat, blah, blah, blah. Uh, eventually, they come back, say, can we interview you on the phone? I said, absolutely. Uh, and then luckily, after a few more steps in the process, I got the job there, which was an incredible experience. Rocking my gear right now. <laughs> I love rocking the catamounts gear. Uh, I built so many great relationships. Got to call some uh, many cool games. Uh, NCAA tournament game a year out of college, which was absurd. I'm so lucky that I got that opportunity. Um, but in terms of play by play versus color, uh, I think as you move up in the in the ladder, uh, the color side, the analyst side, it's going to be someone who's had an established uh history whether it's a former player a former coach an executive front office person um so in student radio we would like i said two two mics we would usually split by halves so one person would be play by play one would be color and we would flip at halftime so both people can get practice Um, but now i'm only play by play because realistically i don't have the expertise to break down the x's and o's of a basketball or football game as a former player or coach would right i Built my, I worked my way up, getting all the practice in to do the play-by-play reps. Um, so I, lo- I love calling games in that fashion.
1: What do you think is the hardest name you've ever had to learn to pronounce? Wow. Kind of putting you on the spot, but
0: yeah, there's nobody on Vermont that was too tough. It helped that three of our guys had the same last name. They're three brothers, the Duncans. Um, hmm. That's a good one. There's a lot of guys from like European countries that have like silent J's or C's that are weird and Z's. I'll, I'll tell you a team that was tough. The university of Maine. When, when I was there, uh, they had some guys, I think three of their starters or three guys had like five syllable last names. And the biggest Help The unsung heroes of broadcasting are SIDs, sports information directors, because they're the behind the scenes media relations people who will spell out the phonetics and the pronunciations for you so that you can practice the days leading up to the broadcast. So by the time you're on the mic and the game starts, you feel like you've known that person forever and you went out for a drink or a pizza with them the night before because it feels like you're so confident, but there is no way you can step up to the plate, put on the headset. And just say someone's name it takes practice for some of the names for sure
1: and then as far as the preparation process I know when I first started it was very much because I was so new to it I would be spending three to five hours you know in a library doing six seven pages of notes writing down stats and going back like years and years and you know what was your preparation like and as you went on how long did it take you before you kind of maybe only broke it down to maybe one or two pages because you know okay i can know these things in the back of my head these are important stats i want to write down maybe some information you used to write you realized as you went on isn't as important as other things what was that whole preparation and the transition process like for you yeah
0: 100 percent. each play-by-play broadcaster has what they call charts or boards um basically a cheat sheet if we're comparing it to school studying for a text test right you try to fit as much as you possibly want or can on a sheet of paper Uh, the way I do it is I have one giant sheet for each team to try to keep it organized and on that sheet it'll have literally everything about that person number age height weight hometown uh stats it'll have high school accolades it'll have favorite kind of chocolate it'll have favorite movie because at the end of the day you don't know what you're going to need to use. And you spend all the days and hours, like you said, you were at the library, I'm on the couch or whatever, uh, in a meeting room, prepping all that work. You're probably only going to use like 10 to, 10 to 15% of that work. Is that annoying? Sure. But heading up to the broadcast, it makes you more confident that you're telling yourself, I'm ready for whatever happens in this game. Because it's not like, if in a newscast, you have a rundown and you have the checklist, A block, B block, commercial, C block, D block, tag out. In the game, you don't know what's going to happen. You know there's going to be a tip-off. After that, you have no clue. So you're prepared in all angles that if, God forbid, somebody gets injured, that if there's a fight or if there's an ejection or if there's a technical uh you have all of the
1: information on each player coach. And then, so you're at Vermont and then you start working with Barstool Sports and part of my take, can you kind of just talk about what that whole experience was, how you ended up there? Because I'm sure there's so many people in America that are applying for jobs at Barstool because you guys do an incredible job. And I'm sure I would also love to hear what a typical day of work is like, especially preparing for the number one sports show in America. I feel like a lot of people have a misperception of everyone's kind of just joking in the office, whether it's Big Cat, you, PMT, Hank, whoever, or just any other podcast, whether it's Biz, Ryan Whitney for Spin Chicklets. Uh, I feel like people don't realize the amount of work that you guys have to put in. So kind of just talk about like what putting the show together is like, how you ended up there and what a day would look like at Barstool Sports.
0: Yeah, 100%. And the way I would say it is everyone's role there is completely different. I have a completely different day than Big Cat and PFT and Hank um, because obviously we all work together on part of my take, but like I have bench mob, Big Cat has the yak, PFT has macro dosing, Hank has his fantasy football podcast. So there's no similar uh itinerary for every single person um but i can walk you through from the part of my take perspective um on on show recording day so you're an awl award-winning listener the show comes out monday wednesday friday uh which means our busiest days are the recording days which ironically are not monday wednesday friday it's sunday tuesday thursday because that's the day before um so this week we're recording on memorial day week a little bit different um, we had a Tuesday, Friday episode, I guess. So tomorrow is was Thursday. Uh, that's a recording day. Um, things will usually not start off early. Um, especially now because the playoffs are going on. So it'll be much later days. Um, we'll, we have an interview tomorrow. Um, so we usually base off recording times either before or after the interview. Uh, And sometimes we'll record half the show before or after, depending on how busy everyone's schedule is. But given that it's the playoffs, it's going to be a late night. We won't record the bulk of the show until midnight, 1 a.m. Because you want to wait to see what happens with the games, right? To talk about them. Because that delivers the most fresh takes from Big Cat and PFT. Because if you wait, if you don't stay up, there's not much to talk about. All right. Because you have to wait to see what happens to the game. That's the nature of sports. Um, so it's that it'll definitely be a later start on the podcast again, but we also have soul streams, which is the broadcast that I'm the play by play voice of. We have a cornhole broadcast tomorrow. That'll be in the afternoon as well. Um, I met, we talked about the bench mob college basketball stuff. We had an emergency show today because coach K is announcing his retirement. So no two days are the same. The point being is that that's what makes Barstool so unique and so fun is you walk into the office one day and you truly might not know what you're getting yourself into, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, big cat PMT, you guys, they're warriors staying up after midnight as they keep referencing for these games. Um, Damian Lillard certainly did not disappoint last night. Um, so as far as part of my take goes what was like your almost like wake up moment as far as i'm sure you obviously got some following when you're at syracuse you're at vermont you're being seen and heard by you know tens of thousands of people at what point whether it was just in barstool or at part of my take or just maybe an event there that did you kind of just like hit you that's like oh my god like i'm kind of a big time person i mean you go on your twitter instagram you have Tens of thousands of followers, hundreds of thousands of followers, it was is that kind of like a surreal thing to you now that you know it's an everyday thing for you?
0: Yeah, it's it, it really was crazy. So, um, the PMT Sports Biz Twitter account that I run, it wasn't mine from scratch. Um, it was the Blake Bortles Wikipedia account that was like dead for for a while before I took it over and then the first tweet I sent from there it had like 61,000 followers or something I tweeted out what was my first tweet it was something about the NBA finals or something I pressed tweet and then my phone basically breaks I get all these notifications like retweet respond because in my personal Twitter account Jake March 18 it had 800 followers It would never break like that. But when you're on that big platform in the spotlight, you realize, holy crap, that's a lot of people. Uh, So I had to go right into the mute of the uh, push notifications. And that was a wake up call, if you will, that this is a really big platform unlike anything I've been on before. Um, So that that is why um, you listen to the podcast. I don't like to curse on the podcast or say or do anything inappropriate because I wanted to stay professional and I know it's a big platform and every single word everything you say or do gets inspected so I just like playing the safe route which is rare they cat PFT they love making the funny <laughs> dirty jokes and they're great at it I like being the straight man if that makes
1: sense <laughs> and how hard is it for you to kind of like do that because I completely understand where you're coming from as far as like being professional and like just listening to episodes, you know, they like to egg you on or when you're doing stuff for like charity, like, will you curse for charity? Things of that nature. Yeah. How, how hard is it to like, you know, every once in a while, not just like slip up and curse. Like how hard is it like being like that guy, but at the same time, I feel like you've cemented yourself as that guy on the podcast and it like fits you as like a role greatly, almost like a role player for a team.
0: Yeah. 100%. It, it definitely adds a little bit di- of a different dynamic. Uh, to the show, because like we said, Big Cat, PFT, Hank, Billy, Liam, they all don't mind cursing and things like that. But the way I was raised in broadcasting and in journalism is it's if you curse, you're fired, right? If you do anything, anything inappropriate, you're fired. So my brain's just been just trained to not do that. So why change it up here? You know, plus, like you said,
1: it kind of fits because it's so unique in the Barstool world. And then you've obviously been at Barstool now for a while. Do you have a moment or maybe an interview or just maybe an event that you've done at Barstool so far that's kind of been your favorite, whether I know it seemed like you had a great time doing the spit and chicklets hockey thing with Biz in the booth um, or just other interviews that you guys have had on part of my take. Is there anyone that's kind of just blown you away? And it was like hard sometimes. I feel like in sports, you have that, boundary from being a professional and being a fan like if I was trying to call a Bills game and Josh Allen walked in front of me for the first time I'd probably be a little mesmerized and might have a little bit too much of a fandom come out at me so was did you have any of those moments yet at part of my take I'm sure as you've been exposed to a lot more people that maybe you didn't think you would ever have the chance to in the past yeah
0: for sure uh you mentioned the pink Whitney cup that was really cool to announce with Paul Bissonnette a fellow Barstool employee um Patrick Chung from the play Patriots, he played in that game. Um, a bunch of Arsenal people and former Olympians too. Amanda Kessel from U.S. women's hockey team. So that was really cool. Um, and then pre-COVID, my first summer there in 2019, that is when there were still in-person guests. And hopefully that starts up again soon. I, I think and hope it will at some point this summer, definitely by the fall. So in that first summer, those first two months I was there, I got to meet Gronk, Chris Bosh, Julian Edelman, uh, A-Rod, guys like that. And that was surreal. The last two years, they've had some sick guests like Matthew McConaughey, uh, plenty of other people, but they've all been over Zoom, right? So that's definitely the holy SHIT moments, if you will, Um, because
1: you're getting to meet some of these really cool people. And let's transition over to something that you guys kind of just started more recently yourself in the Barstool Benchmark Podcast. Can you kind of just talk about how you got that going? Um, Maybe give the listeners an idea of, you know, what a day-to-day show looks like for you there. And I know you guys have had some really cool guests lately. I watched the one with Adam Morrison. That was really cool. Um, And then, like I said, um, today, the big Coach K news, you guys just had an emergency podcast. Kind of just talk us through that. And, you know, everyone needs to go give it a follow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we started the varsity bench benchmark back in November. Um, so we are six, seven months deep right now. Obviously much different in season versus off season. Uh, November through March, it was very busy. We did twice a week, late nights, staying up for games, et cetera. Right now, uh, a little slower because college basketball off season. However, like we said, today we're recording and best coach in the history of the sport retire is announced his retirement. So um, that's been a lot of fun. Obviously the COVID thing slowed that down a little bit, but this season will definitely be on the road, be trying to be at as many games as possible. Um, so it's a podcast. We talk about all things college hoops. You mentioned Adam Morrison. We we're fortunate to have him on. Um, we've had some coaches, Bob Huggins, Eric Musselman, Nate Oates, some players uh, that'll be drafted. Cade Cunningham, Corey Kispert, Uh, Jared Butler so many guys we've been fortunate to have and hopefully we keep building that brand as the season goes on
1: and you're fortunate enough to call play-by-play at Vermont I want to get your take as you're kind of a college basketball guru do you have any teams for this upcoming season maybe not the Baylors and Gonzaga's of the world the mid-majors that you're really excited to watch that you want to let people know about
0: yeah so (laughs) as weird as it sounds I do think the Blue Bloods will all uh, bounce back because the story of this last season was Duke stinks, Kentucky stinks, Indiana's not good, Kansas was good, uh, North Carolina was meh, UCLA squeezed in the tournament and made the big run. Um, I think they'll all bounce back, especially with the Duke news. Coach K, you've got a feeling there's going to be some sort of magic that happens this season. Could they win it all to send him out into the sunset? Sure. Um, but you mentioned I'm a big mid major guy as well as Vermont. I stick up for the little guy. Um, they're going to be good. Hopefully they're always, I mean, they they're always good in the America East, but there's definitely some smaller schools out there who always will put up a fight. Uh, you look this past year, Drake was really good. Loyola Chicago pulled off another six, sweet 16 run. Um, so we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I would keep an eye on Seton Hall. I'm a Seton Hall fan Um, uh, from Buffalo, so I'm a Canisius fan at heart. I had season tickets there for about 15 to 20 years. Um, You know, a lot of great teams, you know, back when I was probably 2012, 2013 when Billy Barron was there. But I had a friend that played on Seton Hall last year, to call Molson. He transferred to uh, James Madison's here. But I really like Seton Hall's team, Jared Roden. Um, you know Kevin Willard I think is a good coach their team to maybe watch out for I like watching Vermont um, too you know I like watching that conference you know with UB being good before with Nate Oates I had a chance to meet him at Cortland once for a coaching clinic so UB Alabama those teams are always fun to watch um, as well what is the best college basketball game that you've ever been a part of whether as a fan or uh, broadcasting
0: so Fortunately, I have some options here, um, but I'd say the two thousand and nineteen America East Championship game, Vermont versus UMBC at uh, Patrick Jam in Burlington, uh, March fourteenth, twenty nineteen. The backstory: in twenty eighteen, I was I was still in Syracuse. I was before graduation. Uh, Vermont hosted UMBC in the America East title game. UMBC hits a buzzer beater. To make the tournament, pull off the upset over number one, Vermont. UMBC gets in the tournament. You know what happened with that story. They make history, 16 seed over number one, Virginia. So then the next season, fast forward, my first year at UVM, rematch. Same teams, same court, same championship, same uh, ticket to the dance on the line. And Vermont was not losing to them again after what happened last year. Uh, They smoked them out of the gate. The place was erupting. Every basket, you live and die by everything. It was a roller coaster. I still remember the score, 66-49. Everyone storms the floor. They're in the tournament. They let me cut down the net, which was surreal at the end of the line, of course. But it was awesome. I did not expect that opportunity. Um, And then the next day, the selection show with the team. The cameras are rolling. Like It was really, really, really cool. Um, And then we made the tournament. We, it was actually a bus ride to Hartford, Connecticut. We were a 13 seed played number four, Florida state tied the half lost by seven. Um, but that whole week was so cool to be actually a part of the team on a tournament run it was a dream come true. And that was, that was awesome.
1: And then before we close today's show um, with a cool draft topic, I would just want to ask for any listener that maybe has aspirations of being a podcaster or a broadcaster what is the biggest advice you would give to them on their journey 100 percent, and we kind of
0: t- touched on this a little bit earlier um but if especially for the play-by-play side just never say no like Ein eagle told us um don't be picky call any game you're you, you're given the opportunity to call and then b is you have the resources to go to work you can start calling, you can start doing a podcast on your voice memos app on your, uh, on your phone. You watch the NBA playoffs tonight, you talk to yourself for 20 minutes. So oh, I like this, this, and this. Send it out to some mentors in the business, some people you made relationships with. Um, if it's someone you don't know, be respectful in their DMs or whatever and be like, hey, I'm this, would love your feedback. Uh, anything, anytime would be possible. Um, and then you take whatever feedback you get and you keep practicing, you keep getting better. It's impossible to get better in the business unless you do practice. And I know that's cliche, but it's true because you can't just sit there and then do nothing for three months. And then in three months, hop back on the mic and expect to make progress. You got to keep working hard and things, things will work out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's pretty much the whole motivation for me. Why I've been doing this podcast for two years, just to, Stay ready for when an opportunity comes, regardless of it's one listener, or a thousand listeners, you got to just always be prepared. Um, but we're going to close off the show with a really cool draft topic. So we're going to draft five picks each college basketball games. We wish we were in attendance for, we can either do the men or women's side or a combination of both. So as you are the guest on the show, I'm going to let you go first. We'll do a snake draft and go back and forth. So you go first, I'll draft two, and it'll go back to you. A lot of games to pick from, um, so I'll let you get it started.
0: All right. Uh, oh, my mic. All right. So we just touched on it earlier, but there's got to be something of being at the first number 16 to be to one that you'll never forget for the rest of your life because that is – they talk about it before before that happened in 2018. They talked about it every single year. When's it going to happen? 16 seeds are 0 and 142 against number one seeds. It's never going to happen. It will one day, yada, yada, yada. And then it happened in Charlotte on that Friday night. And you'll never forget where you were. You really won't. No matter, even if you don't like college basketball, if you like just sports overall, you will never forget where you were standing when UMBC beat Virginia. So that'd be number one on my list because just the historical
1: aspect of it. Even though it was a blowout, the, the history side. Absolutely. That would have been one of my top two picks for sure. I'm going to go with maybe a more obvious pick um, in the 2016 championship game between UNC and Villanova, the Jenkins buzzer beater. That was just a crazy game with Marcus Page hitting the off-balance three. It's high the game. I feel like at that point, everyone thought, you know, if this game goes to overtime, UNC has all the momentum, and then they're coming down. And I want to say – it was Ryan Archie Diakono that I heard recently on the podcast said that that wasn't even the play that was originally drawn up or they had never run it before. And they toss it back and Jenkins hits that uh, buzzer beater. And that was actually, it was Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson was on the told the story and JJ Reddick's old man in three. So that's just crazy that, you know, that, how that game ended and, you know, Villa Nova goes home champion. So that'll be um, my first pick. And then my second pick, I'm actually going to go 2010 championship Duke versus Butler just for the sole fact of it was a great game. And it's one of like the biggest what if moments in college basketball history with Gordon Hayward, just missing that super long range shot to potentially give them the win. And that was part of a great, you know, Butler core of years of basketball. So that would be my second pick of a game I'd like to be at.
0: Those are both great choices. And it pains me to say that, uh, Syracuse is in that final four in 2016. I went down to Houston and then once they lost, I left town, passed up a ticket to the championship game. And little did I know I missed the greatest finish in college basketball history. That stinks. I just, Oh, uh, it sucks because I'm, I literally passed up a ticket to history. I was with my dad and we're like, I don't really care about this game. Syracuse is out. Let's just go home. So I'm back to school and I missed out on it. Um, But yeah, that's a great choice. Houston was an awesome final four venue, went to the fan fest or whatever. But Syracuse got smoked by UNC in the round before. Um, My next pick, it's probably the highlight you see most of something that doesn't have to do with the game itself. It's Jimmy V running on the court after NC State in Houston. I guess they did win on the buzzer beater dunk, but you don't remember that as much as you do remember seeing him running on the court. And obviously uh, his story they've raised tons of money for cancer research. They had the Jimmy V classic in November, December, Dickie V does a great job raising money for that awful disease. Um, So just that, that would have been really cool to be at. And I realized it was what, 1983. So um, way back before both of us were around, but um, that would have been really cool to be a part of.
1: And you have one more before. Yes.
0: So I mentioned I'm a Florida Gators fan. I'm going to pick, I guess, either one of their 06 or 07 championship games, because seeing your favorite team cut down the net has to be really cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those teams were awesome, you know, with Horford, Brewer, all those guys. I mean, you're a heat guy. You got us Haslam, Florida guy. Um, He is like the heart and soul of Miami. So definitely love the Florida teams. Definitely. Mr. 305. Yes, sir. Um, So my next two is just tough. Um, I'm going to pick the 2018 women's national title game. um, Agulale? Yes. The Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Agulale, buzzer beater for the win. That game was just absolutely nuts. One of the best games I've ever watched. I feel like women's basketball doesn't get nearly the amount of credit it deserves. They had a great tournament this year too. Um, That game was just absolutely crazy, especially coming off, you know, Mississippi State snapping UConn's 111 game um, winning streak in 2017, um, the year before. So like, there's just those two years for them were just insane. So that would be my third, and then my fourth. I'm gonna go with. Alabama versus Minnesota in 2017, when Alabama had three players on the court at the end of the game with Colin Sexton, that game was nuts. I remember I was at a Buffalo wild wings and all of a sudden you see the benches or the bench clear for Alabama. And all of a sudden all the players start walking off. I'm like, what's going on. I'm like, Oh my God, they all just got, you know, taken or ejected because they left the bench, you know, then a guy fouls out, then you have an injury and then Colin Sexton goes out there almost wills them to a win over a really good Minnesota team. I want to say they were ranked 16th at the time, and it was just a crazy game. I think that'd be an awesome experience to be at. 100%.
0: Those are two great choices. Um, I have two games that are both from the same conference.
1: Close it out out strong, Jay. Close it out strong. It's the Big
0: East. One. The six overtime six, six games, overtime, Syr- UConn. Syracuse and Yukon. That would have yep. been unbelievable to be at because it could happen again. I feel like it might. We've seen a couple of four overtime games, I feel like, every every year. Um, but six overtimes, just the fact that it was Syracuse and Yukon, right? Jim Calhoun and Bayheim. The history of it being at the Mecca, at the Garden, right? That was awesome. Um, and then the last one. Also, UConn based is the cardiac Kemba game.
1: That would have been my next because pick. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that was a really, really, that was the start of a really special run from UConn in 2011, right? So that was awesome. And then a bonus pick, I uh, can't forget the women too. Just being a part of the uh, UConn Women National Championship run 2009, 2010, just that's something I think we're confident and we're never going to see again that winning streak. So to be to see that in person with Gino Oriyama. Maya Moore and all those fantastic, uh, women's athletes. That would have been really cool to see.
1: Yeah. Those UConn teams, both men and women were great. I remember my first NC tournament I ever went to was in Buffalo and is when Shabazz Napier was on UConn the year, they made the run and won the title. Um, so those teams are always fun. Um, dang, there's so, there's so many great, you know, I would have definitely taken the Kemba one if you hadn't um looking over my list now dang there's so many good games um before i give my final one just some other ones kind of like you just mentioned i would have had thrown the 2013 kansas michigan game in i just remember trey burke i was that, there dallas that insane three to send him to overtime because florida um, played
0: florida gulf coast right after so i yeah, wanted to
1: see the gators play that was 16. an unreal shot um the 06 tourney um tennessee first army when candace per- parker became the first women player dunk in a tournament game um i think That's that great. would have been a cool one as well but i think my final pick i'm gonna go to the 2008 national title game kansas first memphis yeah um mario chalmers just ice in the veins you know everyone thought that memphis had it that year with their rose and you know kansas ultimately ended up hitting a bunch of big shots and you know, the rest is history. Um, but yeah, those are, I think, both great lists. That's uh, so many great games to choose from. I and mean, we're not even scraping the surface of the amount of great games that we that have been played and will be played um, in the future. But Jake, I appreciate you really taking the time um, coming on and offering your advice and just talking us through your, you know, journey from Syracuse to Vermont, part of my take everything um, and make sure everyone goes and follows Jake um, on Twitter, Instagram, check out his podcast, make sure you listen to him on part of my take Barstool Sports in general. Um, but thank you for coming on. Um, once again, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Of course.
0: Anytime. Thanks for having me, Nick. Any, any other help you need happy to help out and, uh, good luck moving forward with all your things too. Appreciate it.
1: No one circles the
0: wagon like the Buffalo Bills.